Hello. Welcome to another episode of Lighthearted Heartache. I think just Lighthearted. Um, I'm going to be speaking again with Brandy just for sort of a quick quickie because after our very first podcast together, there were a lot of things that were discovered and discussed that I thought would be kind of important. And so I wanted to just do a quick sort of follow up with her and share along with you guys. Please understand that this is extremely sensitive material um, and requires a lot of vulnerability from both myself and my sister. And there may be points in time where either one of us or both of us aren't prepared to really share some things, but maybe not. Maybe we'll both be able to get there. And But we wanted to share because I do think it falls in line with a lot of things in regards to Glenn and our father and our relationship with him. So thank you for joining and listening one more time. And in one moment, we're going to have Brandy. Thank you. So Brandy, thank you for joining me again. You're welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. Yeah. How, how have, you, uh, have you had many listening experiences of our episode over the past couple of weeks? Have you re-listened? Yeah, I, I think I re-listened to it about three or four times. Wow, really? Initially, yeah. How come? Well, the first time, because I wanted to obviously hear how it went, and I thought it went really, really well. Mm -hmm. The second time, because uh, I wanted to listen a little, I wanted to actually listen a little deeper. And then the third time, I think it was because <laughs> you had been told that we sounded like the same person. Yeah. So <laughs> I wanted to hear that, and I didn't. Mom actually had Our said, own mother had said, no, you guys kind of did sound the same. And she goes, there's a couple parts where I couldn't tell the difference. And I, so I listened to it to specifically find those parts. And I think I know where it was at, but I couldn't tell you what we were, it was towards the end. But I think it was just the tempo of our speaking, not necessarily the sound, because I'm way gravelier. I spent 25 years as a heavy smoker, so I can be gravelier. I'm pretty sure I still sound like Ursula the Sea Witch, which is why I'm obsessed with that part of the movie. Anyway, we watched The Little Mermaid last night, and I forced myself to stay awake till Ursula sang, and then I went to bed. That has nothing to do with it this episode. It has nothing to do with this episode, but, <laughs> but, it, but you if, you, sharing. if you want to understand <laughs> what I think my voice sounds like. I you think, think you sound like Ursula. Yeah, gravelly. No, it was funny. Um, Mom had said to me, she was like, there was a point in time I couldn't tell which was you or your sister. And I, so I re-listened to it probably just a couple times. One, because obviously before I post anything, I listened to it. And then I cringe. And then I listened to it again. And so I was being very critical of myself and thinking, oh, we inter I interjected too much or this or that, or is it too close? We're too personal with each other and no one was really going to give a fuck. And then I noticed several times we would say the exact same thing at the exact same time. Which oh, yeah, that happens That happens regularly. to us all the time, yeah. Not yeah. in this exact moment, obviously, but... Well, that would have been just <laughs> too much, <laughs> too much for our audience to handle. Um, but in listening back, <clears throat> the first thing that came to mind for me was, gosh, we sound so, well, not we, I shouldn't say you, but to me, I, I was like, our situation is not that awful. You know, I was like, how is this justifying any kind of heartache? So Glenn was absent. We had Cliff, who was always available and always there. We had this amazing father figure. And so I was like, he didn't beat us. We weren't, you know, left out on the street, which actually then I was like, well, because what we didn't talk about was, you know, 
Glenn did leave our mom and we oh, were yeah, very we, poor. We were definitely abandoned. Yeah. Mom didn't have a job. She didn't have any money. I can remember rolling pennies together as a fan, you, me and mom. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, so young at the time, didn't know that that was not normal. Oh, I, yeah. But we were so broke because he did leave us. He left us to fend for ourselves and we didn't have an income. Obviously we were very, I was probably what, three or four at that time? Three? Yeah. And so I can remember rolling pennies. I can remember... Uh, I remember eat. when we would be able to get a little roll of tartan tinies, and it was like... Oh, my god. For gosh. me, it was like we had won the lottery, or if mom bought ginger ale... Those were gum packs, right? Tartan tinies, they were, they like, were yellow? They were like little... Are you thinking of the the the, the gum with the oh, animals? Chip, the, no, the little pieces. No, little there were little gums. tartan tinies. They were like little round cylinders oh, in a yeah. roll. Or in a box. No, NECA wafers were in a roll. I don't like those. Oh, I love those. Um, These were little teeny... I remember tartan tiny ...cylinders. They might have been in a box like nerds. Yeah. What happened to those? I don't know, but those were were amazing. And I remember when we were able to get those, it was like a really big deal because it wasn't very often. But I know as a kid, that is what I imagined... Heaven was like, yeah, I was being like, oh my god, buy those. Well, and I'm and you're just jogging my memory. The little yellow packs of gum, remember, they were little teeny tiny colored squares, yeah, with the animal. Oh, they chiclets, they're chiclets, yeah. yeah, okay, chiclets, okay, mine, that's what they were <laughs> called. But so, you know, essentially, I was really trying to understand why am I so angry? You know, he left us and, and it is justified, you know, even in speaking to my therapist and a lot of friends, they were saying what he did to you and your family, you have a justified reason to be hurt and angry about, like never try to negate that. But I knew that that wasn't it. There was a source of rage and pure, just deep anger And I was really just sort of confused by it. And I talked to my therapist. I said, you know, it's more than just being mad. Like I am, I am angry. There is a a vile. There's a wound there that's festered. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I didn't know where that was coming from. Simultaneously over the past, I don't know, maybe eight months or so, I had noticed that our mom would do this little giggle. And it wasn't her normal laugh. I mean, when she laughs at something, it's a very different thing. It'd be sort of her chuckle to herself if she thought she said something funny. But it's a newer one. It's newer, right? I I feel Mm -hmm. like only over the last like eight months or so. And I could remember when I first started to hear her do it, I'd be like, oh, that reminds me of so-and-so, which was so-and-so is this person who, you know, you have a family friend and you end up calling them uncle and their name. And they're Mm -hmm. not really your uncle, but they're a close family friend. And it reminded me of this man. And it bothered me, but I didn't, I never paid it much mind. And then after we had done our talk and I started to really want to understand why I was so angry, I picked up more and more on her doing this chuckle to herself more often. And I noticed a physical response in my body where I would tense up and cringe and it would really, it affected me where I was just like, how can I tell her to stop doing this What's laugh. crazy is when you first mentioned the laugh, I know the exact one you're oh, talking about. I remember about. you said, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, mm-hmm. there wasn't even like a, well, mm. no, you knew instantly. Mm-hmm. And so I started to really wonder what, it, I, why would I have a physical response to this laugh that reminds me of this man that had been in our life who I have not seen since I was probably 12 or 13 years old. And Over the course of my life, I have remembered him saying to me, I was in a car with him alone, and I believe we were driving back from something specific that I don't need to talk about, Um, but 
I remember him asking me and talking to me about my developing body because I developed a larger chest very young. And I remember think, being so, because you're going through puberty. So I remember feeling very weird about like the feelings I was having for boys and comparing myself to other people and what's normal, what's not normal. And I remember him asking me if I got wet down there when I thought of boys. And now this is a person that I had trusted. I had known essentially my whole life. And I was so ashamed of the truth being yes, because I thought it was gross and weird. And I was probably the only person that well, that Yeah, and it's just to. something that kids don't talk about all of that stuff. You don't... Yeah, sex education yeah. is like a graphic on an overhead of like... And everyone cringing, trying not to watch, but still trying to watch. And I just remember them always talking about the vas deferens because it was always <laughs> like the little like weird <laughs> drawing of... That's, um, yeah, that's where the vasectomy happens. Yeah, you know, it's just sort of like... <laughs> Vast deference. I remember it, but there was no sex education when we were having it was never about what sex was. It was just basically, this is what a boy has. This is what a girl has. Okay, everyone. Yeah. That's it. And girls make sure that your shoulders are covered. Like anyway, we can get into that. Oh, whole I don't thing. know. Did they have, well, no, I just remember where they separated the girls and the boys, but oh, I wasn't eat... separated. Oh, you weren't? No. Oh, we were separated. Oh, and it was highly awkward when they started talking about period. And I just remember being like, this is so we knew shameful. The way that it was when I went, I know that they had the boys watch the boy thing and the girls watch the girl thing and they were separated. And then they told us that each one would be watching the other, but they didn't want us in the same room. No, we were all in the same room. It was very awkward. That would be mortifying. Y well, yeah, but it was also but like it's also funny. Yeah. You're all like, <laughs> well, that's what a boy has. You know, and you're, everyone's too embarrassed to really pay attention. Yeah. I just genuinely remember Vaz Deferens and being <laughs> like, what? Um, but yeah. <laughs> back to, you know, so here I am sitting in the car and he's driving and it's night. And I, you know, I did kind of get like a wet sensation when I thought about certain boys that I liked. And so I can remember kind of just having my head down and sort of glaring to the left at him in the driver's side of the seat of the car and sort of nodding, you know, yeah. And he put his hand on my upper thigh, very close to my private parts. And he said, the wetter, the better. And over the course of my life, I have genuinely remembered that and not paid much mind to it. I have been like, oh, right, so-and-so said the wetter the better. So it's a good thing to get wet down there. You know, I, I, I was still grossed out by it even as like, you know, early well, It's just teens, not a comment teens. that your brain knows how to process at that age either. Right. Well, and I was so genuinely innocent. For those of you who don't know, I mean, none of you do, I guess, because you don't know me, but I, I didn't lose my virginity till I was 26. I waited a very long time and I can remember, so I didn't have a familiarity with what having sex even entailed, you know, natural lubrication for a woman. I, it, mm -hmm. even though I'm sure I learned about it, I never thought about it as something except for I would hear that in the back of my head, the wetter, the better. So I was like, it's not to be grossed out by or be embarrassed by a guy will like it. <clears throat> but as we, which, so by the way, that to me now as a full grown woman, I was like, that is such a fucking inappropriate thing to say to a girl who is 12 or 13 years old yeah. and to touch her thigh that high up on her. I mean, in general, to touch me in general, but to have it up that high on your leg, you know? And I remember being very uncomfortable in the car. And so as soon as this memory really fully came back to me, I called you, or I texted you and I mm -hmm. said, you know, are you available? I have a very 
personal question to ask you. And you, of course, being the best, was like, uh, absolutely. And you, I, I called you and I asked you. Can you can say exactly what you asked me. Well, and I said, do you think he ever touched you or me inappropriately? Yeah, and I have suspected it for a really long time. Yeah, you immediately were like, I can't for sure say yeah. 100% certain, but I absolutely feel... So for both of us to sort yeah. of have this feeling... Yeah, there was there was just sort of a suspicion that I had kind of had, and, I, it, and it was... For me, it was triggered when I was about 19, and I had gone to... Uh, our fathers to go visit the kids or whatever, and him and this man were there, and they had been drinking all day. They were just shit housed, and uh, I remember I was mad at them for that. And I was gonna say at this point, if you ever said Glenn was sober, I'd be like, when was that? <laughs> that would be the more shocking <laughs> statement. But I remember kind of just being angry with them because they were just both being jerks, like just jerks, drunk, dirty old men, dirty old men. Yes. And then I got in my car, and it was parked right behind the garage at their first place that they had in Rancho when they were on the end of that area. And I had to back out. I'm actually surprised I didn't hit something because he stood there, not Dad, but the guy. He stood there, and he, was, he, he looked at me, and I just remember him saying, you know, you've grown up into a fine young woman. I really can't wait for us to get to know each other again. And it was the way that he glared at me and said it, and to say again. Uh, that too. So it was one of those things that I instantly, the tears burst into my eyes. I turned away, backed up, got out of there, cried the entire way back to my school, which was about 20, 30 minute drive. Had to go to the theater and because I was working backstage on a show or whatever and I couldn't stop crying and I couldn't, I didn't feel okay. Did you question why that was your response or were you just... Yeah, but not... It was just something that it was like, why am I so upset? What? What? It was the way... It was scary. It was threatening. It was gross. It was gross. And I just... I was like, well, he's always been a dirty old man. He, they had that young girl that lived with them for a long time. I don't oh know if you remember God, that. I forgot. In the guest house. Yeah. And then one day she was just gone. But I remember her being older mm-hmm. than us but probably 16 to 18, somewhere right. in that range. And I th- I don't remember if she was... I, I don't remember all of the details, but he just... I, I do recall him just always kind of being a dirty old man, but that's just who he was. But that you only particular... so so much. Right, but right. that particular event, I knew something wasn't right. And I remembered after the wedding, sitting on the couch, we'd gone to a wedding and he was there. And afterwards we were sitting on the couch and I remember him rubbing my neck. But that was when you were much younger. That, let's see, the wedding happened when I, I was 17. Dad's wedding. At the house. Okay. He was sitting on the couch, not dad, was sitting on the couch next to me. And I remember he was rubbing my neck. Mm-hmm. And it was in such a way that it got a little too around here. And I knew that was, and I was like, okay, I got to go to bed now. Like, I was like, this isn't okay. He, okay, but he's drunk. So I, there was some when inappropriate. You say around here, I just want everyone oh. to know she's gesturing towards her chest. Right, kind of around the collar of your shirt, like fall, Yeah, following the collar of the shirt, and it would. It started Ew, off. He did that. Yeah, and I just remember going, and I knew he was drunk, so I was like, I got to get out of this situation. So I remember going to bed. So there was that. There was the incident that happened a couple of years later when he said mm-hmm. what he said, mm-hmm. and so then there were then that, and then 
once you kind of go to college and you start having discussions with people, you learn from other people who may have been sexually abused when they were younger. Like it's just something that it's not like, oh, hey, guess what happened? But it, it comes up in conversation, especially in really intimate environments. I know that we had like in theater classes and whatnot. And so then, you know, and I remember a friend saying, you're this guy saying, you're not one of those girls that was molested, were you? He's like, I just oh. feel like every girl I've met has con- confessed about being molested. And I just kind of looked at him like, no, I'm not. And I do remember telling him, like, that's a really gross thing to say, though. For sure. Like, and he goes, I just mean, like, I feel like every girl has a story. And I go, maybe every girl does have a story. Well, and, you know, I want to look at him and be like, you're not going to be one of those guys who's just a fucking asshole, <laughs> are you? Oh, I'd have a million comebacks you know what I now. Mean? Like, it, they get a, people get away with shit comments like that. And yeah. But if you were to sit, actually retaliate with like a witty comment back, you're the bitch. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. No, you have to be very like, no, I'm I'm not that girl. No, no, not me. Yeah, but good for you for at least being like, yeah. You're I mean, a dick. we didn't stay friends, and so then <laughs> maybe now on Facebook. Yeah, but maybe <laughs> maybe he likes me. You keep up. Yeah, he follows me on Instagram, but whatever. Um, so no, and I just remember then kind of being more aware of the topic, and more aware that. Of the subject. I mean, obviously, we kind of grew up with the McMartin preschool molestation trial. I don't know if you remember that, but I remember that being like... No, I don't remember that. That happened in the mid-80s. What I'm learning from this podcast is I don't remember many things. (laughs) Well... I used to, but... It's uh, it's weird that I can remember certain things like this, but I remember the McMartin preschool molestation trial being kind of the first time that it had ever been a public topic. And... Was this like a teacher molested a student? It was, it was a family, this family, the McMartins, that ran a preschool, a daycare. <gasps> I do remember And there were this. a number of like children. Was it like in Thousand Oaks area or I something? I want to say it was somewhere in Southern California. I but feel like it was the one that was right off of the 101 freeway between like Agora and... That I don't know. Or maybe I, I just associated it with that because it was a preschool. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. but so that was, So I kind of knew what it was and, you know, there, there's just... Whatever. And and so, but it was never really a topic beyond that. It was nothing that anybody ever talked about. I guess you're right. Like, I don't recall growing up and thinking of it wasn't molestation, except there was this one time. I know the story you're going to tell because I was like, how do I swing that in there? But then it's lighthearted. No, you should tell it. It's so funny. Well, grandma used to like to. Tap our butts. Tap our butts or or whatever, yeah. And Allison being much more feisty than any of the other grandchildren (laughs) put her hands on her hips and said, that's child molestation. (laughs) And Grandma said, it is not. That is my butt. She was like, I gave you that butt. That is not. I was so like, I'm going to call the police. But I think that's when like I, when it started to like first come around, like hearing about child molestation, which by the way, not a laughing matter. I'm not joking no, about yeah, that. No, yeah, it's not a laughing matter. It was funny. But I wonder if part of that that situation, you know, there was something true and funny in that with grandma. She wasn't touching me inappropriately. She right. was my grandmother. She's well, you but know. then that's when we were all taught that it's about stranger danger. Yeah. And the thing that people don't realize is that one in four girls and one in six boys are sexually assaulted or abused before the age of 18. That's one in five children. Oh, wow. And what is it, 80 to 90% of the time, it's someone that they know. 
So stranger danger is not, it's a definite threat, but it's not the real threat. But that's what we were taught back then. Be aware of the people in the parks. Be aware of the strangers. Don't talk to them. Right. But it's actually, they're a trusted adult. And and this is something that I've learned a lot in the last couple of years because of some organizations that I'm involved with. Um, And one of them being defendinnocence.org, which is actually a way, it gives you tools and techniques on how to speak to children about this mm-hmm. to make the conversation okay. Mm-hmm. Because if you make the conversation okay for a kid, not it, not normal, the event is not normal, but if you make the conversation normal, then the kids are more likely to feel empowered to tell and to talk. Right. Because if you think about it, the first way any of us learn to communicate is completely nonverbal. Right, we, we talked about yeah, this. Yeah, we yeah. absorb information. But if you think about a kid, and maybe it's the kids that, uh, y- y- the parents talking about whatever, or you know about, you know, if they say, oh, did you hear what happened to so-and-so's kid? And there's a wincy face, and there's a tone, and that's what we pick up as kids. Or, right, or hearing something on the news, and your parents being like, that's, that's just, just awful. disgusting. That's dis- yeah. That poor kid. Yeah, that poor kid. That totally. poor family. That's the stuff that we absorb. So imagine being the kid that might have to tell. That had that happen That to had them. that happen, mm-hmm. but the reaction that they attribute to any time that's brought up is the wincy face and the, oh, and the poor kid and that poor mom. Oh my God, she must feel- going to get through it? Yeah, they're never going to be the same and that mom must really be, how, you know, Their where lives was the are mom? Ruined. Their lives are ruined. Right, and, right. and so that's the environment that, that we have, that we've all kind of cultivated. And one thing I've really learned in the last few years is that when somebody talks, the, the automatic reaction if somebody tells you something like that is you go to that place of, oh, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Because that's just what we've learned to do. But really, that's not effective. You've just got to listen. Yeah. You don't have to react. You just need to listen. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. And so they're, the, the Defend Innocence, they give a lot of different ways that you can talk to the children about it and open up the conversations. Right. That way it doesn't have that icky connotation. And that way they do know what to look out for and Parents and adults of lo- of small children know what to look out for right. because the vast majority of the time it's somebody that the family right, knows. Right, which I mean is so part of what I have discovered is how much shame I have felt without even understanding why. Mm-hmm. And to carry on with what had happened, I can't for certain, like if you were to put me up on a stand and say, did he continue to touch you. I could not for 100% certainty say yes. Yeah, me neither. But I have a very distinct memory of him asking me if he wanted, if I wanted him to check and see. And I feel like I didn't protest. You know, like I think I was in such a place of discomfort and not knowing what was happening. And I feel like he did and that I have a visual and that he said, that's just great. Like, he made a comment about that. Now, I don't know if that's my brain making a connection that didn't really happen or if it did. But point being, if he did, either way, it doesn't matter. Whether he put his hand down my pants or did not, the whole situation is completely inappropriate. And it justifies a lot of my anger and a lot of who I am in the recesses of my mind today. Mm. And part of what I wanted to say is, for me, the thought that I let him put his hand down my pants, thinking 
this is a person I trust. He's doing me a favor yeah. by checking and telling me I'm not gross. That is so fraught with so much shame that like, well, he didn't do anything wrong because I didn't say no. And that was something that I started to think about a lot. Like it, it when you're young and you have an adult violate you. male figure, female figure, whatever, violate, you do something to you that you know gutturally is not okay, it's very confusing. And, you know, I think with the Me Too movement and everything that happened recently with the Kavanaugh hearings and people not believing this woman about what had happened, and it just sort of, it, it really hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, have I really not to say repressed this, but not thought on it and not real like forced it out of my brain. Did my brain protect me from this for so many years? And it's only now because of a going through my breakup, which has caused me to do so much internal self work. And now me really trying to understand what my relationship with Glenn, our father is and whether or not I can be able to have a relationship with him or not. Mm -hmm. It's only because I've started to really force myself to think on those things that this has sort of resurfaced. And, you know, to say, to go also with some of what you were saying, I can, one of the first things I told my therapist when I started seeing her, uh, probably a year and a half ago or whatever it was, I had said, I never wanted to be that girl with daddy issues. And so where that ties in with what you're saying is like, as young girls, because I can't, uh, I can't associate with young boys. I wasn't one, so I don't yeah, know. I, mean, I don't know the way they their thought processes work. But as a young girl, you were taught so many different things that, without even them being life lessons that are being schooled to you. It's just things you do, like you said, absorb and pick up on. Which well, is when we're taught: don't dress a certain way, don't act this way, well, don't I just do mean, this. Like, even how the bo- the kid in college said to you, "Are you one of those girls?" Because I feel like every girl now says she's molested. It's like. You uh, from a young age, you are sort of oddly taught. Oh, she has daddy issues. I don't know if it would be in like movies or whatever. Like, oh, does she have daddy issues? So it's like that's a bad thing. I can't have them. Mm-hmm. To where the reality is, like, yeah, guess what? I fucking have daddy issues. Like, you he, know what? Everyone does. And because maybe some daddy issues are good, and it's not a problem. And maybe I'm trying to work through those issues so that I can be like a well-adjusted human being. Yeah. But we are taught that those things are, the connotation is that those are bad and negative when really it's like, this is actually just a trauma of my life. This is something I'm dealing with and trying to work out so that I can live a happy and fulfilled life. Mm -hmm. And that shouldn't come with a negative connotation. I completely agree. So at this point for me, it, I, I, well, but that's also, it goes into some of the nonverbal stuff too, is that the generation that we were brought up in, yes, we came from the women who fought for, for a the number right to, of women's yeah. rights. I mean, the fact that marital rape wasn't even illegal in all 50 states until 1993 is something that I think young Insane. women just don't understand. Yeah. Like that we kind of were children during that era. The first wives club was a joke because women weren't entitled to right. a lot of things and divorces. Right. So we kind of grew up in that kind of gray area era of women's lib and, and equal rights and, and women's all this, place in this right. world. And, <clears throat> and that's where we absorb the, you don't, behave a certain way. You don't dress a certain way. You don't do this. You keep your mouth shut. You, Mm -hmm. because we came from women that were raised that way. That's what they knew. And it's not anybody's fault at all. It's it's complete generational shift. Progress to happen. There has to be a shift. Yeah. So what once was the norm, we're in this phase of shifting into a different one. Right. To where I, yeah. And then 
it's just, you know, dignified women don't behave this way. This kind of thing doesn't happen, you know, and we still kind of, we kind of were the generation that kind of really ushered in the, you don't have to wait till you're married to have sex. But so there's all of these connotations to sexuality and women and well, even don't ask, don't tell. Even the fact that that was a thing. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, and the fact that we are the ones that have to protect ourselves instead of boys being or predators not being taught, don't do this. Mm-hmm. It's just all of these different connotations that we always have. And so then when you do grow up thinking that, oh, I don't want to be the one with daddy issues or I don't want to be the one that has this because then no one's going to look at me the same or whatever – that's all stuff that we absorbed from a very young age that, that now it, it, to me, it makes perfect sense that something like this, um, I don't think we could have had this conversation even 10 years ago. Oh, absolutely not. You know, because it, sure. it, it was one of those things that even when you and I spoke about it on the phone, it was a very easy conversation for me to have with you. It wasn't a difficult question for you to ask me because it's something that I have thought about Over in various, years. yeah. Cause then I'll read something else. I have this friend I was telling you about who's been going through her, her experience was incredibly traumatic, but she's very public about it because she's been going to a lot of therapy for about four years. And this happened to her when she was very young. It was her step grandfather. And anyway, it's led to some, some, she's trying to deal with some intimacy issues and stuff like that. And there was like, so then when she wrote about the pelvic floor testing that she had done, where they test the tension in your pelvis, in your, in your, in your area, um, her muscles, her muscles are, I don't know what the number is, but it's like an exceptionally high, that's her relaxed mode. Being, they're very tense. They're very tense because her body, our bodies are amazing things where our brains do try to protect us and they will shut things out or force us to react a certain way because it's trying to protect us. But your body also does the same thing. So her little childhood body was trying to protect itself. So those muscles tense up so much, but they've stayed that way because that's what they learned. They learned really early on, her vaginal muscles learned, I no. need to protect mm-hmm. this. So that's led to some, you know, she wants to get through this because she, she it's her own personal journey. So she started talking about this pelvic floor thing and I remembered... That, like, when I had my daughter, I was able to push her out really quickly. And the doctor was like, oh, those are really, you know, they, everyone talked about how impressive my Kegel muscles were. And I must have done Kegel exercises. And in college, we talk about Kegel exercises. And it was where, you know, you contract and release. You and know, I, I thought, feel like I have to do them whenever <laughs> someone mentions it. It's well, like, but see, oh. that, that's the thing. is that, And that's where this has, even very recently, without you knowing it, had become something that crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Because I've had the same suspicions. But again, I have no concrete memory of any specific mm-hmm. incident just a general feeling of that probably happened. Um, and then when my friend wrote about this pelvic floor testing and why this happens, why our bodies do this, um, and whenever, you know, when you hit that, that age where, you know, girls feel okay talking about kegels in their vaginas. Saying and, the word vagina. I was yeah, just going to yeah, say. Yeah, saying like, the word vagina. I have a period Or every even month. saying <laughs> that, you know, I have a vibrator or I masturbate. Like, right. that's just something that, you're never. And you all remember the first friend that said it first. Like, well, no, I do it. Mm-hmm. We, we all do. Because then it's like, oh, thank God. We can finally, it's okay to talk about. Oh, I remember being really quick to sidebar because I don't want to lose where you're at. I remember being on a school bus and this kid, he was like, Allison, are you a master? And I was like, yeah. You know, and the bus in front of everyone, I think I was in probably like fifth grade. And he goes, masturbator. <laughs> I was mortified. Yeah. Like, oh. What? I don't masturbate. Like, and so from the, even very young, like without even knowing, you're like, masturbation is wrong. It's bad. It's gross. You are a gross it's person to be ashamed. People of. will laugh at you. Yeah. Look, try being 43 and single. It's just what happens. Oh God, try, just be masturbate. I know. Everyone, just, life, it's healthy for you. Life so, lesson: be a person who masturbates. Yeah. It's fine. But I remember, you know, 
talking about the the Kegels or Kegels, whoever we all say it differently, um, where you flex the muscle, you contract the muscle, and you release it. And I, and I just remembered always going, well, I don't have to contract it. I have to consciously release it. Oh, whoa. So I think that's A, why I was able to push my first child out like it was nothing. And why I've always been able to, it was like a joke. That girl can hold going to the bathroom for hours because I think I'm always always contracted as opposed to relaxed. And I never gave it much thought until my friend wrote about her pelvic Mm -hmm. floor exam and how that had impacted. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Because that's a physical symptom of something that could have happened that I've suspected. But I don't. I don't rightly know. We don't rightly know. Yeah. Well, and to go on, you know, your friend who is very vocal and open about it, it was, it's not interesting or funny, but upon realizing and remembering these things, I was so happy to have understood where some of my anger and rage towards Glenn was. Absolutely. Not because I, I don't necessarily recall telling him. I feel like maybe I did, but I don't, I have no real recollection of that. But he was supposed to be protecting us, mm-hmm. you know, as our father. And he would inappropriately tickle me. I know he oh, would he do was it to in you the, he, also. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and would, he was, there were inappropriate inappropriate sexual jokes. All the time. All the time from a very Constant. young age. Yeah. And, and so, but, so it really connected that dot of why I have so much rage and anger to him. But in that moment of feeling some sort of relief. You sounded I, lighter. Well, I called mom. Because I was like, I, have, I, I yeah. have a discovery. And I'm so happy to have this discovery because I am now going to get to understand. Because I'm not crazy. Well, There's I'm something. Gonna to, I'm going to get to understand myself more. Like it's, you know. Well, yeah, because there had to be a level of, I have no rational reason to be this angry with this person. Even though it is, like we said, extremely justifiable to be angry that he was absent and it was false promises and it was a lot of just, I'm there for your kid, but then he never was. I mean, people, if that happened to you, that is justifiable to be upset. Yeah, but for you, but but like you said, I knew that there was, that wasn't enough. Yeah. And only you know that. And it was like, I had Cliff, I had Papa, like I knew that I had a man in my life and it was more like guilt I felt as we've talked about. Mm -hmm. But so for me, it was this discovery of so like horrible, but great news for me. Yeah. So I call mom. Because this makes sense why I'm so mad at him. Yes. So I call mom (laughs) and I'm like, mom, I just had a really great therapy session. And I didn't even, all I said was, this isn't about you because in my head I was thinking I don't want her to think that her doing that little chuckle has made me feel all these horrible things. I didn't want her to internalize that as like a thing that she did to me. Yeah, but can I pause you for one moment? Mm-hmm. I just want you, I hope that, and I, because I don't want to forget this statement. That's why I'm interrupting you. I hope that you are able to look at being able to pick up on all of, being open enough to pick up on all of these things, the response that you'd have to the the chuckle, that just the different things, the Me Too move, everything that's led you to this. Mm-hmm. I hope that you really can look at this as an accomplishment because a lot of people, most people, ignore those little things. Right. But I just think it's so tremendous that you have allowed yourself to be so emotionally open to figure it, to take note of it, of whatever it may be. And and work through it. I just think it's a tremendous oh, accomplishment. Well, thank you. I do have to genuinely thank Neil in a lot of ways because had he not broken up with me and devastated me to a point of what I thought would be no real return, it has set off in motion. 
I want to be the best version of myself and I'm going to fail every day, but I want, and I want to be emotionally available to other people. I want Mm -hmm. other people to know that talking with me is going to be the safest space you could ever have. Mm -hmm. I will never judge a thing that comes out of anybody's mouth. And all I want is to be there for them and be supportive of whatever journey they're in the midst of, even if that's, I'm not ready to talk about it. That's I understand. Just know that you have someone who's here to support you. And I'm very fortunate, though, because I have you, I have mom, I have a circle of friends, everyone around me, even all the way to my boss, supporting anything Mm -hmm. that I'm going through. But So So sorry, you interrupted. No, but thank you. That was very, very sweet. I definitely know me before Neil and me after Neil. emotionally available and like oh it's um, a big difference it's It's a it's a very big difference Mm -hmm. and I love it yeah me too me too I I absolutely love this version of myself so much more than the person I had been um but and I also wanted to connect those dots and I still want to Mm -hmm. um without it being this overreaching thing of like I'm gonna figure out who and why and it doesn't need to be the da Vinci right it's more just like oh oh, okay, wow, and this could happen to someone else also, and other people might react differently that way. It just mm-hmm. is, has been very opening. But I call mom, and I st- I'm like, this has nothing to do with you. This is not about you, which I, it was not the right phrase to use in that moment. I should have just said, I don't want you to think that anything you have done has caused me to discover certain things, but I need you to hear me. So I'm like, this isn't about you. I don't, I'm, uh, you have done nothing wrong. <laughs> said, but, and so then I proceeded to tell her and all I could hear was her being like, what, what, what? Like, and then I, it dawned on me, oh shit. Like this woman, this mother is hearing that her daughter has been touched inappropriately while she was with someone that was being entrusted with her care, her ex-husband, and that she knew that man and had also been around him and put us around him. Like, I just, it was like this flush of, oh shit, I didn't think about how she would feel and what her reaction would be. And I, ha- I and I simultaneously was like, I don't need to soothe her, you know, like I don't mm-hmm. need to now be like, mom, 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 you're okay, you're okay. I'm a-. But I just wanted to know like, I'm okay, I'm okay. And she has every right to also be hurt, be very mm-hmm. angry and want to take some sort of action. And we had a really, you know, I it was a very quick, informative conversation where I just told her and then I said, look let me handle this how I need to handle it first. And then you can do whatever you want, but I get to go first. And she, of course, being the most loving human being on the planet was like, okay, uh, absolutely. And so when we got off the phone, I was like, fuck. Oh shit. And that's when I walked through the door and I did, I was driving, so I couldn't text you and I, I was going to call you, but I was trying to work it all out. (laughs) So it took me about like an hour. And then I think I texted you and was like, by the way, I told mom, (laughs) And I don't know if she's okay. And you were like, whew. Because <laughs> well, I had just walked through the door and it sounded like she had gone running. <laughs> she was so short of breath. And she was like. <sighs> and I was like, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm good. It, which is always the. No, no I'm, I'm not. not okay. But I don't want to talk about it. So I'm just going to. So, But you know, I mean, just like moms know when I'm not, you know, she knows when I'm not okay, even if I don't cop oh, to it. It's just. I mean, and we all do. No, I'm fine. Yeah, we all have it, which just basically means I don't want to talk about it right now. Leave me the fuck alone. Yeah, when just, I'm ready, I'll come back. Yeah, I just need a minute um, or an hour. So I finally got her. She goes, well, I. She finally opened up a little bit about what it was. She said she had talked to you. She's messing I think with she, you. Yeah. Mom? We're recording a podcast. Could you keep it down? 
I'm just kidding. Keep it down. Keep it down. I don't know if you've watched <laughs> yeah. Neighbors recently. Yeah. Just, could you keep, keep it down? down. <laughs> so, so we kind of, she said that she had spoken to you. And so then I guessed what the topics mm. of conversation yeah. were. And then I, my focus on her that night really was. But also really quick to interrupt you really quickly. Mom is so respectful of what I share with her and what you share with her separate mm-hmm. from what we share with each other. Yeah. That she didn't know what you knew. So she wasn't quick to be like, your sister just called me. Yeah. And she said this. So, like, and, and I knew that. So right. that's why I said, I'm guessing you talked about this and this and this. Yeah. And we didn't get into necessarily specific. And I said, look, I go, yeah, she and I have spoken about it. And I told her basically Mm -hmm. what I told you on the phone that time. And I said, look, I go, but what I want you to take away from this, I said, because you're clearly very upset. And I understand that feeling. When you know, when when you find out something has happened to your child that you couldn't prevent, whether it's a minute later or 10 years later or whatever, there is that motherly parental instinct to hopefully. To kill, to maim, and to feel horrible guilt for not having been there to stop it or to know that it happened or maybe not even recognize that that is what happened, even though there might have been signs mm-hmm. that were there. There's a lot of guilt involved with yeah. that. And I said, look, I go, I hope that you, what, what I want you to focus on with this is that you've got two daughters that feel comfortable enough to talk to you about this. And I hope that someday my own daughter feels like whatever she may have been through that she thought she needed to protect me from or that she couldn't talk to me about because I'm her mom, I pray that she feels that she knows that she will be able to come to me. I go, that's a huge accomplishment. Well, and by the way, you know, just to also prove the point, mom has absolutely cultivated that safe place for us. Mm-hmm. But even back then, I didn't feel, it wasn't that what? I didn't feel safe telling her. And I, I say this to you just in regards to your own relationship with your own mm-hmm. daughter too. I don't, I think people have to process things on their own sometimes first. I completely you know? agree. And it has nothing to do with how they view their relationship with you. It wasn't because I didn't think mom was a safe, caring, loving place to go to who I could divulge things to. Oh, yeah, to, no, for that's sure. Yeah, and that's not no, what and I, I mean. know you, and, and no, no, I know you're not. I'm just trying to say this for those, anyone who's listening mm. who may feel like, oh, this means I need to share it. Maybe you don't yet. And it doesn't, it's not a reflection of your relationship with your mom or no. a close friend. It's more just sometimes. It takes time to get to the place mm-hmm. where you are able to then share. But it is a test. Like, I feel completely safe here with mom, with mm-hmm. you. I feel like to share and. Yeah. Well, and it's just, it's one of those things too that it, I think it's also a testament. This might sound backwards ish because I don't know how it's going to come out, but I think we've been taught to be such self sufficient, independent, strong women mm-hmm. that that could also be a part of why. I got this. I'm going to handle this, whatever this may be, whether it was back then. And back then it wasn't a topic of conversation. Right. Because somebody touching you inappropriately, maybe one time, two times, it doesn't matter if it was one time or a thousand times. It's still not okay. And it's still just as traumatic. Mm -hmm. It's just, and you can't measure someone's level of trauma in any situation, whether it was one or you can't do that. And I, because I've heard that, well, it only happened one time. I don't care if it happened 17 times. Oh, lucky me. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, great. Um, so, but I think that that's part of it too, is that 
and you don't want to let down your parent and you don't want to rely on your parent too much when you've grown up to a certain age. You want to handle it all on your own. You want to be independent. So that's where I totally agree with what you just said as far as it's not a measure of your relationship with your parent yeah. or your child because we do need to get through our own things in our own way. And so, yeah, so I, I agree with you on that. So there's not a time limit or a timetable in any yeah. way. We all have our own journeys. I wonder for me too, I know we talked about this a little bit, like my need to be perfect. You know, it was mm-hmm. like the way that I felt for Glenn to accept me as a human was I needed to be perfect for him to love me and want to be around me and have me in his life. And I wonder sometimes if like that, what had happened to me to admit to it is a huge source of imperfection, right? I mean, in, mm. in my head well, especially, at that age. Especially if you carried around the, I let this happen. For sure. Uh, well, I absolutely Which is something I hope that you are able to let go of if you haven't already. Well, what I know is there's going to... Look, I'm speaking about this very candidly and Mm -hmm. almost non-emotionally. I know there are going to be a lot of emotional ramifications that probably come out. Maybe there will... I mean, I can't say I know, but there probably will. I think that's very natural. Where I'm at right now is in the place of I'm glad to understand something about myself Mm -hmm. and I want to work through it rather than just accept it and move on. Like I I do want to work through what potentially that has done to me. But um, my point being, I have felt, I think in the back of my mind, constantly imperfect and ashamed of something that I think in that moment I let happen. As a human, an adult now, I can say that is not my fault. That is not a reflection on me or a choice I made or, and it's not okay. And we all have shit happen to us and it's not a sign of being perfect or imperfect or flawed or not flawed. We are all flawed. And sometimes things happen to you that are just genuinely not your fault. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've always tried to be so in control of like how everything affects me and the decisions I make and how they're going to impact people. And, and in this, I have no control over it. It's something that's brand new to me. I can't, I don't know how I'm going to feel. Yeah. And, and I do think, you know, as it relates to Neil too, I think because I waited so long to lose my virginity and he had, he was genuinely the very first actual loving relationship where I felt completely loved as well back. I think that's one of the reasons also it's been so hard to lose him was I finally felt a complete security even sexually with a man Mm -hmm. who I knew loved me and that I could be open with and become more. It's funny. I even remember saying at one point, I don't know if I said it to him, but I said it maybe even in my journal where I was starting to become more open sexually with him. Mm -hmm. And we had been together for almost a year, but I knew in my head that I hadn't even become completely vulnerable sexually yet. Yeah. And I understand a little bit of that more now. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Anyhow, I, I felt it, I know that this is a highly personal thing to talk about, mm-hmm. but I wanted to because it felt like it's we I felt like we had this talk just a couple of weeks ago about Glenn. And in a matter of days after that, I really started to put things together. Yeah. And I wanted to have this follow up because if anyone ever is listening and, you know, I want someone to know like they're not alone, it's not their fault. And the path to self-discovery is lifelong. Well, yeah. And that, I mean, that's the amazing thing too, is that there's so many thoughts that we as individuals have in our heads about anything that may have happened in our life, choices mm-hmm. we've made, things that happened, whatever myriad of things, scenarios. But if you have a thought about it, 
our automatic thought, if it's not something that's talked about openly, is, oh, I got to be crazy to be feeling that way. Oh, for sure. Do you know sure. what I mean? Like, that didn't happen. Yeah. Do well, I even just, just attention. Even yeah. just going, God, I'm in my 30s and I've never really been vulnerable sexually. Like, that can't be normal. There's, there's that, that voice in our head that beats us up. Mm-hmm. So that's what I think is really beautiful about what you've decided to do is that you're opening these conversations that you don't just sit around in the coffee house and have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if there is somebody out there listening going, oh my God, I have felt that. And just knowing that one other person feels what you've already beaten yourself up in your head about, yeah. deeming yourself to be crazy for thinking that way. I just think it's a really beautiful, a beautiful thing to give the world. Oh, well... Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thank you for helping me share it. And I mean, I'm sorry. I'm honored to. Also for you, because I know that you experienced something awful as well, regardless of whether or not you have as vivid a memory or recollection mm-hmm. as I do or have had. You knowing in your heart of heart, I mean, genuinely, Brandy, when you picked up the phone and I asked you that question, you were instantaneously responsive with, I abs- I can't say for certain, but I absolutely believe that that, you know, like, yeah, yeah I have no concrete memories, but and I, also, I'm pretty you certain. knew, like we already mentioned, you knew so quickly exactly which giggle, chuckle it was that, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, I just, I thank you for being open as well. You're welcome. Uh, thank you for doing this with me. Of course. I love you. I do have something that actually... 